This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're familiar with the literary character uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He's the one who says, Bah humbug. He's, uh, he doesn't like Christmas. Um, yet he changes over the course of the story. Uh, but there's another kind of theme besides his dislike for Christmas that uh, uh, shows up in the story. It's a sense that he's, he's not only miserly, but he's also um, lonely. You, you see in those visions of, uh, that he is led to see by the ghosts, uh, when he's a child, he's there alone at um, school when everybody's gone home for Christmas break, just waiting, alone. And then, uh, you know, he gets a little bit older. He is, uh, has some joy in life whenever he works for Fezziwig. Uh, and, and, and he even has a, um, a, a woman that he has been engaged to, but she begins to see that he has grown to love money. He's grown to, to love uh, advancement in his career more than he loved her, and he broke, she broke it off. And so you see again this character who's lonely. And in the, the present day in, in the story, you, you have uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's only relative would be his nephew who, who came and wished him Merry Christmas. And Scrooge just says, bah humbug. He wouldn't have anything to do with him. He wouldn't go to, to eat with him. He's just lonely and he sits at home and eats his gruel. Okay, He's... He's isolated from anybody else because he has, uh, has put all of his effort, all of his motivation into accumulating wealth for himself, and he's cut off and he is alone. We're not meant to be like that. We're not meant to be isolated and alone, but God has created us for community. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, the preacher addresses um, this isolation versus community. Verse 7 begins, Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth 
than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who had been who had moved who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people, all of whom he had led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray that you would be with me, give me strength, and give me grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We are not meant for isolation. From the very creation of man and woman, uh, God said, it is not good for a man to be alone, right? It's not good for a man to be alone. And so he, he put Adam into the deep sleep and he took one of Adam's ribs and made woman, made Eve. We are not meant for that isolation, for that aloneness, but we are supposed to be a part of a community. The preacher reflects on this here. He says, again, I saw a vanity under the sun. He looks at this situation that he's about to describe and he's saying, it's vanity. It's it, under the sun, apart from God, it's vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. And here's the situation. One person who has no other, either son or brother, and yet there is no end to all of his toil. He describes this person who's all alone. He's living life all alone, and he has, he has no one to share his wealth with. He has, he has no family, anything, and he's, it says there's no end to all of his toil. He just works and he works and he works to accumulate more and accumulate more and accumulate more. There's no end to all of his toil. And when we read that word toil over and over again in Ecclesiastes, we might be, do well to remember back to the curse from Genesis chapter 3. What was it? That the ground was cursed and that we would, we would have to be able to earn our living, be able to... Uh, sow our crops and things by the toil and sweat of our brow. When we see that toil word, it ought to remind us back of the, of the curse and the frustration of labor. Labor was created as a good thing, but it was frustrated because of the curse. Um, so he... He labors and he labors and he labors. There's no end to all of his toil. And yet it says his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes talked about how uh, these different things were never satisfied. The eye was never satisfied with seeing. The ear was never satisfied with hearing. Uh, here we see the same kind of image again. 
His eyes are never satisfied. He's greedy. Everything he sees, he wants. He sees something new and flashy. He wants that. His eyes are never satisfied. He wants more and more and more. Um, I, I, I remember hearing of uh, John D. Rockefeller and someone asked him one time, how much is enough? And I, I believe the answer was something like a little bit more. The richest man in the world. And he was never satisfied. He always wanted just a little bit more. And then it says here, his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? It never dawns on him. He just works and he works and he works. He never has that moment where it just dawns on him, why am I doing all this? I'm just wasting my time. He never even thinks about it. He never considers the fact that everything he's doing is vanity. Everything he's doing is just meaningless because he has nobody to share it with. He's alone. He's isolated. He's just going to live his life, accumulate everything, and leave leave it to somebody else when he dies. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The preacher looks on this situation. He sees the vanity, the emptiness of just working alone with no one to share it with, accumulating all these kinds of things, knowing that in the end, the person's just going to die and it'll be forgotten. The text that we're looking at is kind of like a sandwich, okay? The way it's structured. We've got the beginning here that we just looked at. It it talks about this negative case of isolation. Then it looks at the positive, and then it looks at the negative again, another case of isolation. So we're going to skip this positive part and look at this Isolation, this case of isolation. He says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Why do I say this is a case of isolation? Well, it tells us the king would no longer listen to advice. He was isolating himself. He was cutting himself off from anyone. And you can think of, of uh, people that, that are in the Scriptures that might might resonate with you. Uh, here it says, um, this, old, this poor and wise youth, uh, think here, verse 14, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. Think of someone who was, went to prison and then went to the throne. Not just born poor, but went to prison and then to the throne. And I think of Joseph, we think of that story where Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit and then sold down into Egypt. He went down there. He, he, he rose in the ranks, ended up being thrown into prison because of the accusations of Potiphar's wife. And then whenever he came out of prison, he rose to the throne. And maybe when the preacher wrote Ecclesiastes. He, he may have had a person like Joseph in mind as he, 
as he wrote this. And then an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Traditionally, we think of Solomon as being the one who who wrote Ecclesiastes. But it it never comes out and says, I, Solomon. Uh, There are hints that lead us that way. Um, This old and foolish king who no longer took advice, if it wasn't Solomon, maybe he had Solomon's son in mind here, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was... Solomon's son, the wisest man who ever lived, had a son who was a fool, who was a foolish king, who wouldn't listen to advice. The elders were telling him, take it easy on the people. And he he shunned their advice and instead ended up splitting the kingdom in two. So you can think of different cases that that these, these might fit, these descriptions. And the preacher reflects on this. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people of whom he led. This old foolish king who isolated himself, who wouldn't listen to advice. There was no end to all the people that he ruled over. It was a a vast, vast kingdom. Millions and millions of people. And yet, those who came later will not rejoice in him. He's going to die, and no one will remember him. They won't rejoice in him. They won't sing songs praising his name or anything. No, he'll die, and he'll be forgotten. The preacher says, Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. These two cases of people who isolated themselves, one who was uh, uh, putting everything he had into making more money, accumulating more things for himself, and then, but just living alone and having no relationships, no family. And then the king who, who ruled over many, many, many different people, but wouldn't listen to advice. He isolated himself. He cut himself off from people. This was all vanity. But here in the middle of the sandwich, the the meat in the middle, this is the point where we're coming to. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. It's saying we need community. We need, if you have someone to share your goods with, you get to enjoy your life so much more. Life is so much more meaningful when you have a family, when you you have people who care about you. It's, It's sometimes easy to think about this in terms of marriage. And, and, and that is a wonderful blessing of God. We see, we see that in the garden where it wasn't good for Adam and Adam to be alone. So God created Eve and they were a couple together. And, and the, uh, you know, most of us here, uh, the adults here in the room are, have, have been married. But you know what? This applies to everyone. 
Uh, in my congregation, where, where I'm a pastor, we have a, a large number of widows. But, you know, we all need community. And, and the, the, the gospel gives us a relationship of brothers and sisters together in Christ. We, we have a, a new family and a new community that we've been brought into. And singles, people who've, who've never married. You can be a part of that community of faith. That, that community that, that Jesus has brought from every tribe and every tongue and every nation together into one family. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for the toil. They can share things together. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is fall, who fall, who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You can think maybe along in the ancient world, traveling along the roads in the dark of night. If you're alone, maybe there's a pit somewhere along the way you'd fall into. And if you're alone, who's going to pull you out? You might freeze to death down in there. You may, nobody would ever come along for a long time and you might starve or die down in that pit. But if there's another person along, a companion, if you fall in, they can pull you out. And you can also think of the passage that Tom read. If anyone falls into any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's one reason why we need community as churches. We, we, we need community as believers. We are not meant to be isolated believers, lone ranger Christians, just living off just me and Jesus and I don't need anybody else. We need community. Because when we fall, which will inevitably happen, we need someone to go to us and say, hey, you're off here. Come back on. Come back to the path. We need the church to be people who are imitating the good shepherd. Who goes out after the sheep. It's so easy if someone falls away in our culture. It's, it's almost rude to, to try to call them on it. People think we're rude. People think we're judging but it's really the loving thing to do. When someone walks away, it would be easy just to let them go and just say, well, that's their problem. But when we've been brought into a new family, into a new community, Jesus commands us, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Go after them. Imitate the shepherd. Go after them and bring them back into the fold. When one falls, another can come and pull him back up. And it says, but um, again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Again, I think as we look at this as modern people, we might, I mean, we might just think of this in terms of marriage. We're not, we're not uh, typically lying down trying to keep warm with anyone else other than our spouse, or at least we shouldn't. <laughs> but in the ancient world, when you're traveling along 
You, you didn't bring a sleeping bag along. You didn't bring all those things. If you, if you, if you uh, were traveling on a long distance and you needed to keep warm, the people who were traveling together would just be close to each other to keep warm rather than just dealing with the freezing temperatures. That's, there's some cultural distance there, but we, we think that would be weird. But there's a truth to it. If two lie together, they can keep warm and you can keep from freezing. Then, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. We think here maybe of, of the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, the man was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was met by robbers who beat him and left him for dead. If he had not been traveling alone, if there had been two, maybe he could have withstood and not been overpowered. I think that's what this text is pointing out. When you're traveling along the road, you might be met by robbers or bandits or something. And in our lives, we meet all kinds of different obstacles. Whether it's people, difficult people who want to discourage us, difficult people who want to stand in our way, when we have a community, when we have brothers and sisters who can encourage us, we can, we, can, we can go beyond that. And then finally here it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All these examples up to this point have been two, 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 two. And then with the climax, it's three. There's no special, special magic thing about the number two. Threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's strength in numbers. We need community. God made us for community, not to live off in isolation. We, we need, as believers, the church where we can bear one another's burdens. And as, as uh, was read in the passage that Tom read, um, we are to do good to all and especially those who are of the household of faith. It would be easy. It, it, it would be easy for us sometimes to just in this individualistic culture just to take care of ourselves and forget about everybody else. But Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for people. To, to go and serve our brothers. To love one another just as He has loved us. And Jesus also promised, whoever leaves father or mother or brother or sister or lands in this life for the kingdom's sake, will He not much more gain father and mother brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you, you, you're missing the kind of community and just have a craving for that community. That can be found in 
believing fellowship. The church that loves one another, that takes care of each other's needs, that, that, that goes after the wandering sheep, that cares for orphans and widows. He made us for community. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need each other. You know, I assume that people here are believers. You know, that's one of the beautiful things, I think, for our evangelism. Is when the lost world looks at us and sees the beauty of community. They can look at the, the, the church and see those people love one another. What did Jesus say? How would they know that we're his disciples? It's your love for one another. That's a beautiful thing when it comes to our evangelism. We need to be this kind of people. Be the kind of people who bear one another's burdens, go after the sheep, who wander, who care for one another's needs for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of one another. It's one of the ways that we do our good works, as the Sunday school lesson talked about, do our good works so that others may see them and glorify God for what we, what we have done. Mm-hmm.